You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning. It is Monday, October 5th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Chris Hummer, college football writer for 24-7 Sports. We are recording this on Sunday morning. We're both a little tired, had a late night of, of college football coverage, and, and here we are to recap week five. Chris, there is no shortage of takeaways and, and things to talk about. I want you to kick us off, though, with your biggest um, takeaway uh, from Saturday. Yeah, and I, I write college football overtime every Saturday night. Uh, you edit it really late. And this week, I think we both felt that we are starting to see contenders separate from the pretenders. And I know that sounds a little cliche. I know it sounds a little cheesy, but it's true. Like Auburn got exposed last night by Georgia. Texas got knocked off by TCU for the seventh time in nine years. Texas is not back to being a playoff contender. Um, I guess it never was in this era, but we thought they might be. Yeah, we thought they might be. They're not. Oklahoma lost two straight games for the first time since 2014. The Sooners, which have made the playoff for three straight years, are essentially out of the mix already. Um, We saw all of that happen kind of within a couple hours of each other. It was a wild, wild Saturday. And I think we saw Georgia establish itself, no matter what its QB situation is, as a team to be reckoned with kind of in the SEC. Florida's offense looked explosive for a second straight week. Um, Mississippi State, a team we were all in love with a week ago, lost to Arkansas, a team that hadn't won an SEC game in 20 games. So it was just a, it was a wild, wild Saturday. Throw in the fact that UCF and Memphis, probably the G5's best two playoff hopes, if they had any hopes at all, were knocked off. And I think we really started to see teams get positioned as contenders versus pretenders. And let's not forget Alabama kicked the crap out of Texas A&M. I think a lot of us expected that, but it's just another showcase for how good Alabama is and how A&M is still a couple steps away from really being in the mix as a contender uh, nationally. Yeah. So the beginning sentence of overtime, college football overtime, which um, is a, you know, you guys should all read it every Sunday morning was uh, just how many good championship worthy college football teams are there? So it's funny, that's like something we, we ask every year. It's, it, it always, I, I remember last year saying, okay, there's, there feels like more this year than there usually are. Um, but as the season marches on, you kind of winnow down to an Alabama, a Clemson, and then, you know, usually Ohio State or whoever is the team of that year, like an LSU um, or, you know, a Washington, I don't, not a Washington, but a Notre Dame two years ago, someone, Someone else kind of emerges. To your point, it feels like we're already getting set up to have a thin race to be the number one team in the country. It's Clemson. It's it's Alabama. Georgia and Florida will eliminate each other, but maybe with the Big 12's essential death, well, you know, SEC can get multiple teams in, although probably not Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Chris and then and then you know we'll get joined by the Big Ten later in the season and, and maybe even the Pac-12 you'd think that they would be excited about what they saw on Saturday with with the Big 12 um, being knocked out we think but it just it just feels like very quickly 
we've already eliminated many, many, many teams from the playoff race. Which is interesting because I really, I really think we all thought this year if we were ever going to have a really wild year of the college football playoff, it would be this one with kind of a shortened off season, uh, less fall camp. Like these teams haven't had as much time to prepare. Players opted out, but like it's still very early, obviously, and so we still have two conferences really uh, that are ready to join the fray. But the sand is sort of shifting in a way we all expected. As you said, Florida, Georgia, Clemson, Alabama are quite clearly the top four teams in the country right now. I think I could argue Notre Dame over Georgia, and I'm sure I would get yelled at for that. But I I don't trust Stetson Bennett uh, to this point, and I need to see more from Georgia's quarterback situation. But those five teams are there. After that, like right now, it looks really shaky. You've got Miami, which I think we all think is good, but we're not really sure. We'll know more next week when they play Clemson. Um, We've got a team like North Carolina, which struggled against Syracuse a little bit in week one until kind of rolling in the second half. Then it struggled against Boston College last night on the road. Um, That does not speak well to that team's ability to compete with a Clemson or a Notre Dame in the ACC. And then after that, you've got a team like Texas, which just lost to TCU. You got Oklahoma State, which uh, nearly lost to Tulsa in week one, although that Tulsa loss doesn't look nearly as bad as maybe we framed it three weeks ago. You've got a team like Iowa State, which literally lost to Louisiana in week one. And it's just a it's a really it's a really thin path behind that kind of top tier. And until we see Ohio State, Penn State, maybe USC and Oregon during the fray. I think it's pretty well established at this point, even so early, who the teams that are going to be in the college football playoff mix are. And that's that's really normal for college football. I don't like we see the same teams every year, but I really did think this might be an off season in, or a season in which we saw a little chaos and it's not looking that way early. Well, I'm going to add that we could probably throw Tennessee into that mix potentially um, as one of those, like if we're going to mention Texas and Iowa state, we you're, should mention Tennessee. That's a great point. And yeah, well, Tennessee plays. Georgia next week. So yeah, that'll be really good. That 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 Tennessee versus Georgia and then Clemson versus Miami. Like we're gonna can Miami or Tennessee can they rejoin the college football party after being gone so long? Like to to your point, I think it has kind of been wild though. It's just that the teams with the one percent, the one percenters are mostly immune to the chaos. Alabama, like whatever, they didn't need f- spring practice. Georgia doesn't matter who's quarterback. It, ter- tremendous defense. Clemson, really, really good. Like, not going to get upset. But the the fringe teams who, like, let's just talk about Texas and Oklahoma because we probably need to talk about the Big 12 anyway. Texas was bringing in so a new to. OC. Yeah, I guess we have to. A new OC and a new DC. Oklahoma was breaking in a new quarterback. I think in any other year, they'd be much better by early October than they are now. But there's just, you have, you've eliminated several kind of get going cupcake games. You've eliminated spring practice. Your off season was crazy. Oklahoma has been hit by COVID. It's just, it does not surprise me that teams in transition, so to speak, are struggling here. And that's again, kind of why you saw Iowa state lose to Louisiana in week one and then terms turn themselves back on. And yeah, Auburn's probably going to be a lot better in November than they are now. It's, it's, I, I, it, there's a huge, there already was in college football a huge difference between teams one through four and teams five through 12. That's just magnified this year, I think, with, with the COVID offseason that we had. 
Um, but I, I'll steer us back to Texas and Oklahoma. So OU's one and two. Texas is two and one. They're going to play each other this weekend. Uh, which which coach or which fan base needs that win more? I mean, it's going to sound silly given that Oklahoma's in position to lose three in a row, but I really think it's Texas. Like Tom Herman, Tom Herman does not have the resume Lincoln Riley has at this point. Like Tom Herman um, is already having calls on message boards uh, to get fired and hire Urban Meyer to kind of fix the program. And if Texas loses that game and is really kind of in a position early on where they probably should have lost three straight and the wheels look like they're falling off uh, with a team that returns more starters than almost anybody in the Big 12, had a senior quarterback, had an offensive line that was supposed to be really good with a potential first-round pick at left tackle. If all of those things result in like a 6-4, and four, seven and even 7-3 and three type season for Texas this year, I really think um, the band will start kicking up in Austin for potential coaching changes. It's not going to happen this offseason. Tom Herman's buyout. Stop, stop, no, no, stop, tell us the buyout, but no more talk of absolutes. Like we, it's, it's a weird year, right? Like yeah. We but, don't know what's going to happen. But Texas is in a position where it's already laid off like half, a, like a dozen or more staff members in the athletic department. It's burning a hundred million dollars in revenue this off season. I have a very difficult time envisioning Texas raising, even with its boosters, $20 million in this climate to fire Tom Herman this season, unless the wheels absolutely fall off this and he finishes with a losing record or something. You're right. We shouldn't talk in absolutes and you never know with college football. We see wild, wild buyouts all the time. But I think this year, especially that market's going to be severely limited, but like, anyway, like Texas, Texas desperately needs this win. Oklahoma does too, but Oklahoma is going to be fine. This is an injured Oklahoma team. This is an Oklahoma team that's been rocked by suspensions. This is an Oklahoma team with a really young quarterback and a really young group of receivers and a defense that's rebuilding. Like you can make an argument for Oklahoma to have a down year this year. There's no argument for Texas in this way to be playing as poorly as they are. And I think the loss will look a lot worse for Tom Herman in Texas than it would for Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. That's a great point. That's a great point. I, I think we all, maybe we, if you picked Texas to, if you picked Oklahoma to not win the big 12 this year, you were probably right that 2021 or 2022 is this year. You're just wrong if you pick Texas. Although, again, like there's there's a ways to go. We'll see. Um, so Alabama is going to make a case. Well, you know the AP poll is not out yet. Coaches poll is not out yet. This is their most complete team in a while, and I'd I'd like to see it versus uh, the 2018 uh, Tua team. So I guess not that long, Chris. But like the. <laughs> um, and I had to remind myself of that because people, I, I was like, whoa, they haven't looked this complete in just, uh, it, it's been a minute. And then I remembered that that 2018 Alabama team went to it by, by mid-October, we thought had the Heisman locked up. We thought they were one of the best teams to ever play college football. So, so we'll see. But these guys, their defense is, you know, the Alabama fans are probably not thrilled that they gave up 24 points and, and whatever. I, I felt some of that was a little bit fluky for, for AM, but the defense looks great. Mac Jones threw four touchdowns. It's it's probably a fun time to play quarterback when you get to throw it to Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. These guys are really, really, really good. And you had them number one to start the season, and, and maybe you were on to something. Yeah, I, I just think if you look at Alabama's roster from top to bottom, and it's by far the most talented roster in the country. Um, if like Charles Power and I um, put together our top 50 list earlier this offseason and Alabama had double the amount of players as any other team on this list. 
And I think if I redid the list now, Mac Jones might sneak in there. He's looked exceptional uh, the first two weeks. And if you just take a peek back to 2018 or 2019, when he lit up Michigan and he had a couple of bad passes against Auburn, don't get me wrong. Like that pick six he threw in the end zone where he essentially threw the ball to Najee Harris's back is a big reason Alabama lost that game and missed out on the playoff. But overall, he played really well against a really great defense that day. And he's gotten better this year. I certainly think he's been helped by what is probably one of the two or three best offensive lines in college football. They played great against Texas A&M yesterday. He's certainly helped by having Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, um, and a litany of other um, kind of really talented skill players. John Mechie yesterday had 181 yards and two touchdowns, for example. Um, Alabama's next great receiver. So Mac Jones is aided by all of that. But I think Mac Jones is elevating this talent as well. This is not a situation where he's being carried. Like, he is an exceptional – and, like, really, like, the touch on his deep balls is great. Um, he has made good decisions. He's made quick reads. And he's been excellent in that system. I don't think he's Tua. Um, there are very few Tuas. But I don't think the drop-off is severe as we all imagined. I, maybe it's a couple percentage points instead of um, – 20 or 30 percent like maybe some of us projected exiting the season and when you combine that with the defense which isn't which isn't the Alabama defense we remember from years ago but it's a really good Alabama defense it's going to get better as the secondary gets more experience you put all those things together and you have a team that in my opinion is as good if not better than Clemson um, Ohio State and when you have Mac Jones playing at the level he is I really think the only reason people were putting Ohio State Clemson above Alabama was quarterback play. And I'm not saying Mac Jones is as good as Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, but again, I don't think that gap is as large as we all imagined. And I'm really bullish on the tide for that reason. I think they're the best team in the country early on. And I think that's going to carry on throughout the season. All right. So Alabama plays Georgia in two weeks. Georgia's not going to look ahead to that. They've got Tennessee. Who's Georgia's quarterback against Alabama? Stetson Bennett was fine. You know, 17 for 28. 240 yards, touchdown, didn't make any mistakes, you know, managed the game. I think we know Georgia's defense can beat Tennessee probably on its own, I think. Mm-hmm. but Although that, that Tennessee, I'm sure we'll touch on this, but that Tennessee offensive line is just loaded. Yeah, I know. I mean, Tennessee's going to put up more than six points like Auburn did, but um, okay, well, okay, fine. This weekend, who's Georgia's quarterback? Because can... I, I mean, I, I think it has here, to be But here's my Bennett, point. Doesn't it? Here... Yes, and that's my point. Stetson Bennett can beat Jarrett Garantano in a shootout. Stetson Bennett is not going to go tick for tack with Mac Jones. He's just not. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. I think I think you've made this point many times. Georgia has to win defensively, and I think last night was a perfect example of how Georgia can win with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. They put up some points early. The defense locks down kind of the team they're playing, and they cruise from there because the defense is so good. Stetson Bennett was good enough early. He made a couple of really nice throws. He wasn't it wasn't particularly consistent, and he did miss some throws that I think you would like him to see. And even his deep pass of the night, which I believe was like a 50-yard completion, was severely underthrown. I'm not turning this into Stetson Bennett hate hour. I just I think there are deficiencies there that are going to be really obvious against the best teams. I think Georgia can beat Tennessee, but as you said, when they go up against an – offense the caliber of Alabama's I really think if Stetson Bennett's the quarterback that Georgia is going to struggle to keep up as good as that defense is yeah that's I, I guess I'm kind of confused at what you're saying like Stetson Bennett's going to be the quarterback against Tennessee well like he's what, what are you gonna, 
he's like I get, you're not going to bench him midweek, but don't you have to start getting JT Daniels some some reps? Like, is Kirby Smart really going to do what he did with Jake Fromm and Justin Fields? Like, is this really going to happen? Like, I mean, is he, is he going to do it again? I don't ride think the game, right? Ride the 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 game managing QB who's a, who's a safe pick, but like if JT Daniels is ready, throw him out there. Trey, I get him some snaps. I I really think there's a difference between cleared to play and ready to play, and the SEC in against this competition. If JT Daniels was capable of going out there, I think he would have capable of going out there and performing the way they would expect. JT Daniels to perform, I really think he would have gotten some snaps late against Auburn. There's no reason for him not to get snaps late against Auburn with where that game was. And I think like Jake Rowe over at Dogs247 has covered this as well as anybody. There are just, I think there are some concerns out of Athens that JT Daniels does not look like himself. And he is, despite being medically cleared coming off that ACL surgery, he is just not as comfortable on that leg as you would kind of expect him to be after this. Well, not expect him to be. Surgeries take as long as they are to recover, but like he is not as comfortable as you'd like him to be on that leg as a passer. And that affects his ability to go in there and make a difference. And if he's not 100% comfortable, like there's no way in hell you're ever going to throw him out there against Tennessee or Alabama and expect to win the game. You have to go with the quarterback a that's proven that he can win a football game, which I guess is Stetson Bennett right now. And B isn't going to harm you over the long term. So I think if I think if JT Daniels was ready, he would have played some on Saturday. Yeah, that's gonna be, it's going to be interesting to see in two weeks because they're ju- they're just not going to beat Alabama with him with with Stetson Bennett. I, I completely agree. I just like I don't I just don't think Georgia has a better option right now. At least that's fully ready to go. The College Football Daily will be right back. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. So I usually wouldn't really care to to speak about it, but Arkansas 21, Mississippi State 14. Congratulations to Sam Pittman, first win as head coach. In Mississippi State, they had, you know, just beat the defending national champs a week ago and now they're now they're losing to to Arkansas which hadn't won in a while. This is just this is this is the Mike Leach experience. I saw a lot of people saying that on Twitter. 
And it's so true. Like, how many times in the past did we see Washington State upset somebody and then they lose like a a sleepy road, you know, Thursday night, Friday night game and take themselves out of playoff contention, usually around the time of October? It's 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 probably I think it's a, a dose of reality to any Mississippi State fan who thought that they would like be competing for for a playoff berth with Mike Leach, I think this is what you're going to be. You're going to be up and down. You're going to be able to beat anyone, but you're also going to be able to lose anyone. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I haven't, I, I won't pretend to have watched much of Mississippi state. Um, Arkansas, I had my eyes on Auburn, um, Auburn, Georgia and Oklahoma, Iowa state for much of that kind of time slot. But if you look at the numbers, uh, KJ Costello completed 10.4 yards per pass against LSU. Um, and that number dropped to 5.3 yards per pass against Arkansas, uh, despite throwing essentially the same amount of attempts. Um, so that tells you, uh, that tells me something, um, just as somebody who's followed the air raid for a long time. Arkansas made an adjustment LSU did not last week. They probably played a lot of cover four. They kind of sagged their safeties a little bit. They kept Mississippi State in front of them and expected eventually that KJ Costello, who threw three picks, would make a mistake. And that's exactly what happened. Like he made several mistakes. Mississippi state couldn't drive the full length of the field and keep completing enough passes to do so. And Arkansas held on. And I think we're going to see a lot of sec teams make that same adjustment. I think Mike Leach will eventually adjust too. There's a reason his kind of offense has put up the numbers it has over time. But if you ask a guy like Jimmy Lake, who was consistently called out, the air raid is predictable uh, during his time at Washington. Uh, I don't. I don't think Wash. I don't think Mike Leach ever won the Apple Cup, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, there is a there is sort of a blueprint for attacking um, Mike Leach's air raid, and it'll be really interesting to see that kind of play out the rest of the year and see how Mike Leach adjusts and how defenses adjust to Mike Leach. But I, I just think you saw that from Barry Odom, uh, Arkansas's defensive coordinator, on Saturday. I'm gonna rip through a few more scores, and we'll talk about Week Six and then get out of here. Uh, SMU beat Memphis thirty to twenty-seven. Uh, NC State. Kind of shocked Pittsburgh, thirty to twenty nine. Devin Leary threw four touchdowns. They pulled ahead in the final minute. Uh, Oklahoma State forty seven, Kansas seven. Kansas sucks. Cincinnati twenty eight, <laughs> South Florida seven. Cincinnati three and zero, still alive in the group of five playoff hopes. I want to I want to point out Desmond Ritter threw three picks in that game, and the only reason Cincinnati blew him out that way is because South Florida threw five. So Cincinnati's an interesting team to watch with its quarterback situation. Clemson 41, Virginia 23. This was kind of an up-and-down performance for Clemson. I, I think it was their yearly uh, you guys awake game. But, you know, last year that game was a, a, that thriller against North Carolina, and this year to, to make it an 18-point victory must be nice. Uh, Brent Venables afterwards was like, we got a lot of things to fix before Miami because Clemson was vulnerable to a Brennan Armstrong, uh, a mobile Virginia quarterback. It, they were kind of getting got by him. And so De'Ara King's going to be a fun test. I think it might be like the biggest Clemson home game since Louisville in 2016 when it was Deshaun. Oh, that game was Lamar. fun. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, Trevor Lawrence versus De'Ara King is going to be really good as we look to week six. That's the marquee game, Texas OU. Nick Saban versus Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin got his first win uh, on Saturday against Kentucky. Kentucky is 0-2. They're just kind of blowing it. And then Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida A&M. Let's end with the Texas A&M talk, and then we'll get out of here. You know, we we devoted a little bit of time to that Tom Herman buyout situation. Jim, Jimbo Fisher's is 
enormous and it's not going to happen. Well, a cool for, 60, cool 60 million tray. No big deal. From what you saw on te- uh, from Texas A&M on Saturday and from what you saw in Kellen Mond, who we talked about all, all week leading up to the game, are they going to be all right this season or do they need to make any changes? I am sure A&M fans want to see more of Haynes King, but I, I will I will maintain until I'm blue in the face. Kellen Mond is not the reason Texas A&M lost that game yesterday. He's just not. Like, was he perfect? Heck no. Like, he missed a couple throws. But, like, I actually – I watched a lot of this game, and I didn't think Kellen played that bad. Like, I, re- I really didn't. He finished with 318 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Like, he made a few mistakes, but it's not – A&M's receivers don't get a ton of separation right now. I'm going to be perfectly frank, like, he was having to make some really tight window throws. He had some really important throws that dropped. Like it's this is not on Kellen Bond. This is on a defense that gave up 16.1 yards per pass. Like that is an insane total. And I, I realize how talented Alabama is. There's no way AM secondary should be that bad if you look at their recruiting rankings from top to bottom. There are nothing but four and five stars in that group. And I'm of the opinion AM will get better. Mike Elko is an excellent defensive coordinator. And I still think AM probably is the second best team in the SEC West right now, as absurd as that sounds coming out of yesterday's game. Uh, maybe LSU kind of rallies to take that spot. But like this is just kind of where we're at with AM right now. Like the quarterback play is good, but not great. The defense should be better. It's just not there. And Jimbo Fisher is bafflingly, bafflingly conservative um, as a coach. And I think all of those things are stacking up to the point where AM's not quite getting the value it expected, but it is good like they're good enough to compete with Alabama not good enough to compete or beat Alabama and until something changes in that formula perhaps it is Haynes King kind of taking over for Kellen Mond next season or maybe even later this season perhaps it's um, Mike Elko making a few more adjustments (laughs) defensively and perhaps it's Jimbo Fisher kind of being willing to bend but all those things are kind of combining for an A&M team that I think is going to go seven and three again this year not bad but certainly not what they're paying for Really interesting game against Florida this weekend. Uh, Kyle Trask returns to Texas at AM defense. Another brutal test two weeks in a row. It feels like they need a win. Um, all right, Chris, thanks for joining us uh, on the College Football Daily today. Um, it's, God, and, God, and you it's, know what's it's almost mid-October. What? What do you got? Like Texas A&M and Kyle Trask is kind of recruiting class. Probably took three kids from Manville that cycle, if I'm remembering correctly. And like, man, do you just can imagine how different their fortunes would be right now had they took Kyle Trask as a quarterback? Yeah, so Man, so Manville is a high school, and that's that's where Deer King like, and Kyle Trask went. Maybe an hour from College Station. Yeah, yeah so. it's one of the top, yeah, top producing. So, no, it's uh, I think there's something in the water at, at both Texas flagship schools that's just a little bit broken right now. So Texas and A and M fans, um, they're really not friendly with each other, but misery loves company so maybe they'll they'll join up over the next few days and and get ready for um absolute must win games on saturday okay last one florida state i have one more and then we're gonna go florida state mike norvell congratulations on your first win as a seminole head coach you're one and two you're going to notre dame next weekend notre dame hasn't played in a while maybe you can catch them sleeping I don't even need any commentary from you, Chris. I just wanted to wait, mention wait. that Florida you're not, State. You're not going to mention that Jacksonville State was leading uh, 21 to seven or late in the second quarter against Florida State. Yeah, no, I we're, was. We're just gonna we're gonna gloss over that. FCS Jacksonville State was leading Florida State. This is for a long time, like deep I, into the second quarter. I wonder if at the end of the year if we're gonna look at 
the metrics and the stats, and we're going to see Florida State near the bottom. Just, oh. just like in in uh, UConn territory, and UConn's not playing this year, so maybe someone can take their spot. But this team is bad. To to be fair to Florida State, like they pulled Eight Rodemaker, the freshman quarterback, put in Jordan Travis, and Jordan. Jordan Travis against an FCS defense balled out the rest of the way. So maybe Good Jordan him. Travis is a spark that Florida State needs. But, uh, God, it was ugly on Saturday. I was laughing because I had Brendan Sinone on last week, the nose 24-7 writer, who had written that column after a 52-10 loss to Miami saying this is rock bottom. And, dude, if they had lost to an FCS team, like, you got to rewrite that thing. You got to rebump that that timestamp. So <laughs> uh, maybe they'll be competitive in South Bend. Probably not. Okay. We'll jump off. Chris Hummer, thanks to our producer, Tiny Levitt, for putting this long thing together. I'm Trey Scott. We'll talk to you all on Tuesday. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 